Well, good morning to all my online friends that are here with us today to uh, uh, just celebrate in worship and in message and communion and um, prayer and all the good things that we do together here at Crossroads Church. We're so grateful that you have joined us today. Uh, the red light is on, which means I know we are streaming. And so whether you're with us live this morning uh, on YouTube or Facebook, ccmonline.org, or if you're podcasting with us later on today, how grateful we are that you've decided to spend a little bit of time with us. Uh, don't forget to get uh, your elements ready for communion in a little bit. We'll celebrate that together. So whatever you have in your refrigerator uh, is good enough for us for a meal together during communion. So again, we're so grateful to see you today and uh, we welcome you to Crossroads Church of Ministries. I see the sun waking up the morning, reviving dreams. I feel the wind on my back reminding me There's a garment of praise for heaviness There's a new song burning inside my chest Living in the goodness that He brings So get your hopes up Lift your head up, let your faith arise. Get your hopes up, our God is for us. He's brought us back to life.
I told Pastor Claire before I got up here and I was setting this up, I said, I am, I am not going to look at notes this morning. I have notes with me because I was feeling like there was so much that I wanted to say and I didn't want to forget the things that I needed to say. And, um, and uh, I said, I, just, I feel like that's distracting for me. And so I'm going to be speaking today, trying not to be distracted by my notes. But that might end up meaning that it'll take quite a bit longer for me to say. <laughs> we'll see about that. I'm going to say things in a, in a less succinct way, but we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, I'm watching the clock. Yes, ma'am. But I, I am, I'm speaking today uh, becoming the room of God, and um, that, that conversation is going to lead us to talk about obedience, which, you know, it's interesting that our kids are with us this, this morning, um, because we often think of obedience as applying to little children very readily, and, and, and not think so much about what that means for us as adults. And we'll get into that and talk about that in a minute. So we will be talking about obedience. Great word. We love that one. And uh, I, I, I'm speaking that word today in, in the middle of, you know, I think that our sense of our society right now is a bit on edge. We, um, we have, we've had shootings in, in Buffalo, Philadelphia, Uvalde, uh, Tulsa, and on and on and on over even just the last couple of weeks. Um, we have the Supreme Court decisions that have rippled out into conversations that kind of assault us as well in a way. We kind of assault each other in a way. There's economic pressures that are, that are intensifying in our society. And that pressure seems to isolate us from each other, even in our own families. Isolate husbands and wives from each other, uh, friendships from each other. They tear us apart in ways that are hard to... They're hard to explain. And of course, all of us are dealing with past traumas and present traumas, past traumas that have continued to be present with us. And so all of us are having difficulty. And I think that's an important grace to keep in mind for each other as we are hearing today about becoming the room of God. But of course, there's always been trouble, right? As long as there's been humanity, there's been betrayal. There's been greed, there's been murder, corruption, jealousy, violence. The, the book of Job gives us a line that says, uh, everyone born of woman 
only has a few days and they're full of trouble. And it feels like that. It, it definitely can feel like that sometimes. But we, we can't dismiss the fact that there is trouble today based on it being normal. We are called to bear it. And we are here bearing it somehow, peculiarly, strangely. And unfortunately, I think what, what has happened is we've been given a Christianity that is not able to square itself with the brokenness of the world. I might be speaking a little too bluntly about it, but I'll, I'll let Dietrich Bonhoeffer kind of say it so you don't get mad at me, you get mad at him. Bonhoeffer uh, has become one of my favorite theologians, the theological voices that speaks to me um, uh, in my theological studies. And Bonhoeffer actually, before he was executed by Hitler's regime, he actually visited America. He came to the United States in like the late 1930s and he experienced American Protestant, Protestantism mostly. And he was absolutely bored to tears with liberal Protestantism. But he was horrified at conservative Protestantism. Protestantism, I can't speak. Anyway, especially in the South, absolutely horrified by it. But it was in the black church, the black soul in America that inspired him to many different things. But especially to return to Germany and to seek out the voice and the will of God and to be obedient to the will of God. Even at at his death. So it's likely, I'm just saying, it's likely many of us here in this room have not been raised in a Christianity that is at least pleasant to Bonhoeffer's estimation. (laughs) But certainly I don't think that has been uh, given to us, a Christianity that's been given to us that is able to square on what's broken in our world. And and I want to kind of talk about that in, in two ways. I think there are two ways that we have been taught to think about God and us and the world that run against us and work against us. And the first one I want to think I want to talk to you about is is a magical thinking. There's a kind of magical thinking we have about God that suggests that God is going to rescue us from the difficulty that our neighbors endure. That God's going to somehow because of thoughts and prayers change our lives or change our society. Thoughts and prayers alone will not fix what ails our society. But we have been trained to think this way about God. Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that God doesn't do wonders and works. But I I am suggesting that the miracles and wonders and works of God are not what they have been taught to mean to us. If you look in the Gospels and you look closely, the miracles always bring, the miracles of Jesus always bring more conflict and more confusion. They never bring the kind of clarity and the obviousness of God's presence or God's, or proof of God's work like we think they do. Even the most quintessential, we're talking about the Spirit in these last couple weeks, The most quintessential story of the the coming of the Spirit, the day of Pentecost. What we've been taught to think about that story is not true. What we have been taught to think is that the Spirit comes and then solves all the problems when they're able to speak and others are able to hear in their own language, fixing the, the confusion that we would have amongst ourselves. Except that's not what happens in the story, is it? First of all, This great miracle of the clarity of God's voice being heard by all, being spoken and heard, we don't have it. It's not in the text. You ever think about that? All the the boundaries of language completely erased, and we're able to hear what God has to say, and we don't have it in our text. And as a matter of fact, what we have is Peter, who then, even to those around who heard that voice, who heard what was spoken, they're still confused. And Peter has to stand up and say, no, 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 it's not what you think it is. 
It's this over here. We're not drunk. This is the spirit. Because God is not going to give us a magical bypass from being human. God is not going to give us a magic bypass, a spiritual bypass, for being responsible to speak to each other and to do the work of being neighborly, to do the work of being human together. And so many of us have been given this kind of magical thinking of God, but God is not doing magic. We've also been given a kind of realistic thinking. It's the other, the other thing that I think is running against us. We've been given a realistic thinking about, about God in the sense that what we think about God and say about God is God does the spiritual stuff. And then the political stuff and the economic stuff, we have to do our way. So the spiritual stuff is over here. But when it comes to the running of the world, we kind of have to do that a certain way. And that just has to be what it is. We, we decide that we're going to set the cross aside and the way of Jesus aside so that we can get on doing the things that need to be done. And so we've been taught to kind of think realistically about our role in the world. But neither of these is true to Jesus. Neither of these is true to Jesus. And I think that Naaman, in, in the text that's given to us today, we're going to open our, 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 the scriptures and there's a story that was given to us in the lectionary today from 2 Kings chapter 5. And I think Naaman represents this thinking so well for us. And I want to attend to that text and attend to that story today as we, we continue. So this is, Na- this is uh, 2 Kings chapter 5 where Naaman is coming to Elisha to be healed of leprosy. I'm just going to read here. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read it from this screen, so, I, so I, I'm trying to read it from my, script, my Bible here. Where was I? <laughs> ah, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I've sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, And wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? 
So he turned and went away in a rage, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So I think we can kind of see it right there in Naaman's response to the word from the servant. Naaman's first response is, well, surely I thought he would come out and he would do some magic. I thought he'd come out and wave his hand over me. I'm, I'm the commander of the army of Aram, and I have a letter from my king. Surely then... Someone's going to come out and do some magic for me and heal my leprosy. But that's not what happens, is it? And then you see him immediately revert. Because if we're not going to get magic from God, well then surely we've got to take things in our own hands. Right? The life I want, the healing I want, the world I want it to be, if I'm not going to get God to do some magic for me, well then I'm going to have to do things my own way. He says, well why don't I just go to a river that makes sense to me? Why do I have to be obedient to the word of God? God's disappointed me over here. Well, then I'm going to go do my own thing. Do you see it? Both magical thinking and and realistic thinking in his mind. And we do it all the time. It's the reason why we have so many of the issues we have, and especially as many of the culture wars that we have today. It's why when, when COVID was an issue, we had people talking about praying for COVID to be away and ignoring the idea that there was a real virus out there. A real virus causing real harm to real people. Pretending that God was somehow making us miraculously and and magically immune to it. But God's not doing that. People die every day. And at the same time, some of those same churches would have people in their churches with guns to protect them from people who would come in to harm them. And don't get me wrong, there are people that go into churches and do real harm to real people. But both of those at the same time, can you see the contradiction? God is somehow protecting us magically from viruses, but we got to kill people to protect ourselves. How do you square those? And that's a Christianity that many of us have been raised in. That's a Christianity that we've been given. And it's not able to look the brokenness of the world in the eye and deal with it. It is what's keeping Naaman from his healing. Right here, Naaman is saying... God's not doing magic, I'm going to do my own thing. And so that, that contradiction's at work in Naaman. And it's keeping him from his healing. And the reason why I want to talk about it today, the reason why I want to expose it today, is because it keeps us from our healing. Because it keeps us from obedience. Now when I say obedience, there's... there's I have to be so careful because when we talk about obedience as Christians, we get so much of it so wrong. And when I say obedience, many of us think of our will being subjected to somebody else's. When I say obedience, many of us think that we're talking about the opposite of freedom. And how dare I say that on July 3rd, you know what I mean? (laughs) Obedience as the opposite of freedom or obedience as subjection. And many of us have difficulty talking about it because we think of obedience as a kind of works and self-righteousness, right? Anybody had language used about that in their life? That we're saved by faith, not by our works. We don't need to be obedient to be saved, but we are called to obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. 
And he says, I have a new command for you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we are called to obedience, but what do we mean by obedience? Well, always, we have to look to Jesus first and then end with Jesus as well. It's first Jesus and last Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, we see that Jesus says to us in in, uh, John 5, he says, um, I have, uh, sorry, I got distracted by looking at my notes. (laughs) He says, uh, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. And so obedience is a godly attentiveness to what God wants for us and others and a readiness to work with the Spirit to do it. I'm going to say it again because I think it's so important that we have a different definition of what obedience is. Obedience is a godly attentiveness. Like Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. We have to be attentive to what God wants for us and for others and then to be readied by the Spirit to do the work. That's obedience. Obedience is a spirited attentiveness and a readiness. Amen? So many of us, can't, we, we speak of, of obedience and we hear a kind of opposite of freedom. That somehow God has to override our freedom in order to get us to obey. But obedience is in freedom. Freedom is in obedience. It's, it's true that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's what Paul tells us, right? It's for freedom that Christ sets us free. But it's just as true to say it is for freedom that God calls us to obedience. And it is for obedience that God sets us free. Because what we've imagined by obedience is to mean that, like I said before, that somehow there's a kind of subjugation of my will. We look at Naaman's story. We look at Naaman and we see that he seems to have a choice here. Naaman has a choice. And his only choice is that he either obeys God or he doesn't get healed. And that's the imagination that we have about obedience, that God has to kind of overpower our will in order to get us to do what he wants to do. But it isn't so. Obedience is not the opposite of freedom. God frees us into obedience. And obedience is not subjugation. God has no rivals. He has no opposites, no equals. God's not struggling. I saw a meme the other day just recently, and it was was actually... uh, it was about, of course, the Supreme Court decision, but it was after that, there was some other kind of state legislation that had gone through, and somebody posted about this and said, God's winning. He's winning. And I was like, well, does that mean he was losing before? Like, what does that mean? What are we talking about? Does God need the Supreme Court to do his will? Does God need legislation to make his will come, come about? God doesn't need anything for his will to be done. God is his own source. God is our source. So obedience is not subjugation, and obedience is not works and self-righteousness. Obedience is a godly attendance to what God wants for us and others, and a readiness to participate with the Spirit's work in the world. I'm going to skip this stuff because I'm just all over the place. Obedience is, this is from Chris, uh, Chris Green, who is a professor of mine and a dear friend. He says, obedience is not the breaking of our will by a more powerful will. Obedience is the healing of our will by participation in its source. When we look at Naaman's story, what we imagine is that if Naaman didn't obey, he wouldn't get healed. And then others would argue with us, of course, and say, well, no, God could heal Naaman despite his disobedience. 
Naaman doesn't have to do anything. God can do whatever he wants. But both of those are not true to God's character. They're not true to God being true to himself. What's true is, and what, what has to happen is Naaman does have to obey. But Naaman only has to obey because it's in obeying that he realizes he could never have obeyed unless his healing had already taken place. Naaman couldn't want to do the will of God unless his healing had already begun. Because Naaman doesn't need to be healed just from leprosy. Naaman needs his whole life healed in God. Naaman needs his will healed in God. Obedience is not a subjugation of our will. Our will is already subjugated. Our will is already torn away from the calling that we've been, we've been called to. Our will is not to be overcome by God. It's to be freed in the spirit so that we can be ourselves. Naaman has to obey so that he can become himself. We have to obey to be ourselves. God isn't trying to, God isn't trying to keep you from being who you are. God's trying to make you who you are. Obedience isn't to break you, it's to make you in God, who you were always meant to be. But we're, we're subjugated by our sin that causes us to be apathetic to the people around us and their suffering. Because what it means to be human, what it means to be you and me, and especially to be Christians, is to be responsible to the suffering of the world, to the brokenness of the world. Which is why realistic and magical thinking are dangerous for us. They keep us from doing the calling of being human. They keep us from being who we are. And so God calls us into obedience because God wants to free us so that we can be his presence in the world. We can be responsive and responsible. Did you know that's what you signed up for when you became a Christian? You and I, when God called us, God called us for nothing less than to be his character and nature in the world. God called us, when he claimed us, he claimed you so that his life would be lived in you in your truest self. And to bear the responsibility for everyone and everything. You had no idea that's what you were doing when you said, Jesus, I want you to live in my heart, right? Remember that prayer? You had no idea. But that's what you've been called to. You've been called to bear responsibility for everything that has happened, everything that is happening right now, and everything that will happen. You were called to be Christ's body and presence in the world. So we don't think magically about our neighbor's suffering. God will take care of it, thoughts and prayers. And we don't get to wield whatever weapons we choose, whatever weapons we deem necessary to make the world what we want it to be. So what do we do? Everything that I've said so far is to say that we are responsible for the brokenness of the world. And of course that demands a certain presence, but what is the the shape of that presence? What is the character and the nature of that presence? That's the question. Notice in this story, come back to this story for a moment. I'm going to slide up here and find that. Notice that when Naaman is going to Elisha, he, gets in, he encounters a servant. It says he went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha himself doesn't even come to Naaman. Naaman isn't healed by his obedience. Naaman obeys because he's being healed. But he's healed by a power that isn't taking up room in the world. He's healed by a presence that isn't there. Elisha's word goes forth, but Elisha himself is not there. Elisha actually makes room for Naaman's healing. And Naaman has to listen instead for a powerful prophetic voice. He has to hear the voice of servants. He has to be healed to hear the word of God spoken by servants. And so it's in the absence of the powerful man of God. It's in the absence of the prophet that Naaman's healing can take place. How many times have we been looking to try to speak to our neighbors as prophets when what has been called from us is the voice of servants? How many times have we decided to take up and wield power and legislation and force and coercion in our world and manipulation to get the world to be what we want it to be when what's been called of us is our, is our presence that is an absence. A presence that is an absence that makes the heart grow fonder for God. That's what we need. Yes, we're called to, respons- uh, to be responsible for the world. But it's not a responsibility that, that forces its way. It's a responsibility that makes room for the healing of our neighbors, of our children, of our own lives. It's not a force that takes up, it's not a power that takes up room. It's a, it's a power that makes room. We need to be people who become the room of God. Who are gracious enough to allow for the healing of our neighbor's will and our own. To let the spirit, to make room for the spirit to do the work that God does. It's God's work that leads us to repentance. It's God's work that forgives sinners. I don't know if I'm making any sense to you today. (laughs) I sure hope I am. The last thing I want to say, as I noticed this as I was preparing this message, and I had never known it before. I'd never noticed it before. If you keep reading this story in 2 Kings 5, and I encourage you to do that, there's a really peculiar thing that happens right after Naaman's healed. Naaman, of course, says to Elisha, when he finally does meet Elisha, he says to Elisha, now I know that the God of Israel is the one true God, and I'm going to worship him, right? He's, he's kind of, I'm, he's been, he's been, his imagination about God has been swept up in this healing. But then he says, he says, but I got to go back home. And he, and he describes this ritual of his own culture and his own people. And he says, I'm going to have to put my hand on this statue of Rimen, and I'm going to have to kneel. And I hope that you'll forgive me for that. He says this to Elisha. And you know what Elisha says to him? Go in peace. He's healed by God and admits that his own life is not yet what it should be. He's healed. His leprosy is healed. His life is not in order. He's still doing things that he's compelled to do. He's a part of a society and a culture and he feels the pressure and the weight of that. And he recognizes it's not faithful to the God that just healed him. And Elisha's word to him is, go in peace. 
Because Elisha trusts the God who is healing Naaman, not his own word. I want to show you a... I want to show you one last thing before, we, before I end here. And I hope that this image will, will spark something in your imagination about what it is that we've been talking about today. This is, a, um, this is an icon from the Coptic tradition. This is very, very old, um, likely 5th to 8th century. On the left over here, you can see Abbot Minas. Um, I, I read some of Abbot Minas's, um tales about him from a book from Thomas Merton. And I've been fascinated with the Desert Fathers. It's a, it's a book called The Wisdom of the Desert Fathers. It's such beautiful stuff, and I read it, I read it once a year. Um, but Abbot Minas over here is one of those Desert Fathers. And so this icon is made of him. And you can see on the right, you can see, of course, Jesus is there next to him. But I want you to notice some things about this image. Usually in iconography, Jesus is, is performing the sign of blessing. Have you ever noticed that? The peculiar three fingers and two fingers, right? Jesus is always the one that's performing that blessing. But in this case, you can see in Minas' hand, he's performing the sign of blessing. And where's Jesus' hand? It's, it's actually over on his shoulder. Jesus is standing beside the abbot. And his hand is upon his shoulder. And so he is now the blessing of Christ in the world. Abbot is performing the blessing that was Jesus' blessing. And notice that Jesus has this bejeweled Bible, scripture, the text in his left, his left hand here. And so he holds the scriptures. But notice also in Abbot's, uh, sorry, Minas' uh, hands. You, I don't know if it's, if it's intelligible from where you sit, but in his, in his left hand, he too holds a scroll. Because Jesus is not subjugating Minas. God speaks his own word, and it makes possible for us to speak our word. I want to pray for your and my There are people in the world and I'm one of them who need our lives to be we need you When I first entered this church, my life was in shambles, and I was not myself. It's peculiar how we we use that phrase. You ever been in that spot where you find yourself doing things and you, you don't know why you even did those things or why those were the troubles that you faced? Why did those things happen to me? And we say, I wasn't myself. And that's precisely what I'm talking about today. God wants to make us ourselves. And he does that by calling us to bear responsibility for each other. And so I need you. And there are people in the world that need you. They need you not to think that God is going to solve all the problems without you. 
because they feel the absence of God without you. But they feel the absence of God in a way that isn't healing to them. It's harming them. And they need you not to try to fix the problems in their life by your own means, by, your, by, our, by the tools and the weapons that we've been given. They need you to do what God is calling you to do. They need you to speak the word that God has made possible for you to speak. They need you to speak your word. They need you to speak the word that God has made possible for you to speak. And so I'm just going to pray and end. I'm going to pray that God would give you and I ourselves, our true selves in him. Father, we cannot fix this world the way that we have tried. We cannot fix the brokenness in our society, the ways that we've been going about. We need you. We need to be reminded of your cross. We need to be reminded of your meekness. We need to be reminded of your son, Jesus. And we pray that God, as we step out into our world, that we would be led by Jesus so that we could be the presence that makes the heart grow fonder for you. We pray, God, that you would lead us to people who need us, who need us to be your hands and your feet in the world. We pray, God, that you would burden us with the responsibility of our neighbors' lives, not in ways that not in ways that coerces and manipulates their lives, God, but makes room. God, pray, we pray that you would help us to be a room, a room for the healing of our neighbors, that we would make room for you to do your work in our work. We ask this in your blessed son's name, Jesus. Amen. Can we just sing this over each other one more time? And I want you to sing it over someone near you as a benediction. Christ as a light. Sing it to him. Christ as a shield. Christ when you're standing. Christ when you're standing. Christ when you kneel. Christ there beside you on your left and your right. Christ all around you all your days and your nights. Christ as a light. Christ as a shield. Christ when you're standing. Christ when you kneel. Christ there beside you on your left and your right. Christ all around you all your days and your nights. Let's sing it over our broken world. Christ is a light. Christ is a shield. Christ where you're standing. Christ when you kneel. Christ there beside you on your left and your right. Christ all around you all your days and your nights with the boldness of the Spirit. Christ is alive.
Good morning, everybody. Um, well, first things first, I would like everybody to give a round of applause, a great round of applause to Mr. Sam Marks. That was an amazing, amazing, very, very amazing sermon. Um, also, if you don't know, there's different ways to give. You can give here in person. There's different baskets around the auditorium. Also, if you're not here in person, uh, you can give online at ccmonline.org slash give and follow the prompts there. You can also send a dollar amount to 84321 and give that way. Or you can scan the QR code back here, and that's another way that you can give. Also, you can send prayer requests throughout the week, anytime throughout the week, by texting your prayer request to 269 269- Two four seven 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 one seven, and that'll be sent to our prayer team, and they will be make sure to pray for you guys throughout the week. And just know that prayer changes things, just like the song that we sung earlier today. It says, "Do not worry about anything except pray about everything, and the God who, who and the God will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding." All right, um, so pray about everything, and don't be afraid to send those prayer requests into the prayer team as well. Also, if you're new to uh, Crossroads, we would love to get a chance to know you and meet you. Um, So could you please meet us at the Next Steps kiosk and fill out a slip there? We also have a gift that we will give you as well. Um, Also, happy 4th of July. So we had the kids and the adults here in the auditorium together, and we just wanted to let you guys know, happy 4th of July. Have a great and amazing Independence Day um, and celebrate freedom, 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 freedom granted to us through Christ Jesus and freedom granted to us from our veterans as well. So thank you for that. Also, we have Peace Kit. Okay. Yeah. Peace Camp. Woo, woo, woo. We're bringing back Peace Camp. So that is amazing. So, yes, initially when we first started Peace Camp, I was a peace camper, probably around this time. But, yeah, so. um so watch me win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we bring, we're bringing it back now this year, and it was an amazing, a very, very amazing experience with great, amazing teachers. And ironically, I went from a camper, and now I'm going to actually be teaching a class uh, for a peace camp as well. And right. So that's going to be cool. And what's really cool is we have um, helping professionals from all over the region oh, yeah. that are coming in to be a part of the teaching. So what we need you to do is find kids who need to know the message of peace. Uh, Third through sixth graders, I'm telling you, it's life-changing. It is life-changing. Kids learn skills that they should learn in church. 
about being in this this culture as blessed are the peacemakers. So find children. There's little invitations at the back kiosk. Pick those up. Invite your invite the kids to come and know that they'll be taught by the best of the best in our region. People from from the Child Advocacy Center. We've got some folks from Albion College that are coming to teach. We have we right we have uh, uh, some therapists that are on the team and our kids are going to go out ready for school this year. So please invite invite the kids. That's all. Yes, and it is starting next Sunday. So next Sunday, um, 10.30 at the same time as church is, we're going there will be upstairs for Peace Camp and it will be different uh, events every single week um, and lessons that they will learn with peace. All right. Beautiful. So have a wonderful week. We love you. God bless you. And uh, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen.